Fiction. Radio Play, an oft-ridiculed frontier. It all started when a remote programming experiment some community radio station on the central coast of California was conducting went a little caca. Their names are Gall, Moses, and Ted. They're lost, aren't we all? One of them owns an astronaut costume, shot through a wormhole for the sake of narrative explanation. Anyway, here they are, bouncing around speculative fiction thematic time and space, rather timidly going where many a man has gone before. These are the voyages of the Incompanots. Interior bar, Western Town, day. A small western watering hole. Ted and Moses enjoy drinks while Gall tends bar. Another round, gentlemen? Moses slaps some cash down on the bar. Uh, that's enough for me. Much obliged. Loud footsteps. It's the dastardly Brian. He sidles up to the bar. Afternoon. I like some of your finest soda pop. Sure thing, fella. Anything else? Oh yeah, I'd like to enjoy my beverage. In space. Alarms start blaring, mechanical beeping. Rumbling sounds as the bar leaves the face of the earth itself. In, In space? That's right, I turned your bar into a spaceship. I'm mashing genres and no one can stop me. We hear jets. Brian, are those jetpacks on your cowboy boots? Yes, sir, they appear to be. Although these seem to be some sort of steampunk offshoot of your typical jetpack. Those hydraulics? Oh, yeah. Do you like them? Very inspired. I would suggest some tweaks if you're looking to travel farther distances. Oh, Ted, now stop helping him. He's the bad guy. Oh, yeah. I hate your boots. And outer space. No matter. Look out the window. What do you see? Earth? And how does it make you feel? Mighty lonesome. Like a coyote's howl on the midnight prairie when the last of your firewood's just snuffed out. Moses, are you okay, man? No, we're all alone out here. Oh, I get it. This is why sci-fi and western genres are often paired together. The starkness of the frontier and the human condition isn't only bound to the Wild West. Oh, hey now, Brian, is that what you wanted to show us? Oh no, I just wanted to freak out. Did it work? <laughs> Brian jets away. There hasn't been a Star Wars character named Fawn Javro yet. A <laughs> <laughs> boy, howdy! <laughs> Welcome to Last Refuge of the Incompetent. I, I, I'm just your old timey narrator. <laughs> I'm going to take you on a on an adventure. Oh boy! Anyway, my name is Gall. <laughs> my name is Moses. My name boy, is Te- <laughs> <laughs> And boy, howdy to you, <laughs> and also to you, <laughs> Chef Boy Howdy. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> and also with you. I'm Ted. <laughs> yeah, and you're listening to Last Refuge of the Incompetent, and uh, this is a sci-fi show, blah, blah, blah. But guess what our theme for this week is? Well, if you have a guest already, it's Space <laughs> Westerns. <laughs> And we have a very special guest who came up with this idea, who you've already listened to a beautiful sketch written by her. She's one of my most amazing friends, and her name is Scarlett Meyer. Hi, boy howdy to everyone. Now, it's not all space, it's just sci-fi westerns. So there's some robot westerns. Okay, so, I'm sorry, the year 2074, boy howdy. Is that funny? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Boy, howdy, there sure is a lot of time in the future. Perfect. Oh, God. You know what's terrible about this? We're all a bunch of not people from the South making fun of Southern accents. But it's hey. a meta critique of Hollywood doing that. Yeah, yeah. We're definitely yeah. doing a meta critique here. <laughs> yeah. It's like Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder. It's a meta critique. Boy, howdy yeah. face. <laughs> And I'll have you know, my dad played bass in a country and western <laughs> band in the 1970s, so this is in my blood. Oh, that is truth, right? Yeah, like, that's real. It was called Mary yeah. Wine. <laughs> Ted's dad crushing us all yet again. Before we move on to the content, I should preface this with, for, I don't know, about two years, I had an Americana, blues, country, folk, roots music show, so I dug really deep. And I really enjoyed finding music that's about, that's like cowboy-y slash about space. I had that show for about the last three months when you got <laughs> bored of it. <laughs> dare you? That is not what happened. I moved to Alaska. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alaska, now that's a frontier. Yeah. That's true. We also don't have radio there, so. Makes sense. No. Anyway, so there's lots of stuff. There's like a more recent stuff, Sturgill Simpson song, Turtles All the Way Down. There's classic, The Highwayman by The Highwaymen, Billy Bragg and Wilco, My Flying Saucer. There's a really good Kenny Rogers song called Planet Texas. John Prine has two two songs that are kind of spacey one's called linda goes to mars the other one's space monkey bird the birds is folky ish but there's mr spaceman and then there's a classic country band called the flatlanders that have a song called stars in my life and then oh also woody Guthrie has a song called my daddy flies a ship in the sky and then these aren't country related at all but both jamiroquai and sly and the family stone have songs called well jamiroquai's song is called space cowboy and sly and the family stone song is called spaced cowboy all of them are going in the show deepest pool of deepest blue shall swim to you morning never for you shall wait for you you're listening to the podcast edit of last refuge of the incompetent what does that mean well that means that all that lovely music that we curate for the radio that fits the theme perfectly and is eclectic and interesting and wonderful to listen to has to be edited out and if you don't care then keep listening. But if you do care, check us out on Mixcloud. The full unedited show can be found there. Don't know how to find that? Just go to lastrefugepod.com, lastrefugepod.com. All the information you need can be found, accessed. Okay.
Scarlet, what made you what made you want to do space westerns? It was in my head because I've been watching a lot of Mandalorian, of course, and that's like I would say. I mean, they just wrapped up, but that was like the most relevant space western content we had going on currently. I'm embarrassed to say my first introduction was Cowboys versus Aliens, which we're <laughs> it's not discuss. versus. Yeah, it's, it's Cowboys, Cowboys and, and Aliens. They they don't fight each other. I mean, oh, they, they do, do fight each other, title. but the title is and. I thought it was versus. But two. there's also a friendly alien, so it's complicated. That, oh, yeah. There are multiple relationships yes. between cowboys on the one hand and aliens. <laughs> it's multifaceted. <laughs> a good teaser is that i've seen this movie twice and i don't remember what it's about but if, is it, it about anything even the things that appear on screen in it, it was i remember watching it in the 2000s and like seeing the trailers and it was my first time seeing like space in a western combined and my first reaction was like you can do that <laughs> well now what a good transition because scarlet they've been doing that to you for a while and you don't even realize it They've got some subtle space westerns going on. So, in my research, I just went on Wikipedia. Um, I found that there are subtle ways that someone could make a space western, like exploration of new lawless frontiers, and there are more overt ways, which is where a lot of the genre started in the like 30s and 40s. So, literal cowboys in outer space using gray guns and riding robotic horses. So space is this final frontier idea. The wagon train to the stars thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Westerns, Hollywood made so many of them and so many of the big TV serials were Westerns. And so many of the big stars were from Westerns or even if they weren't like just Western guys, they did Westerns. Obviously, the country was obsessed with the Old West and the frontier for quite a while and it deepened the dna of a lot of other stuff that got made and there were just so many sets lying around that even if you made a <laughs> sci-fi show you're probably gonna have one episode that was just like hey we're on the wild west planet i just watched the episode of star trek next generation because that's star trek update it's the casino royale one where uh they end up stuck on like a gambling hotel because it's like a bad novel and uh, is, is this in the holodeck no, it's not in the holodeck. Anyway, it features data like gambling and like rolling, um, you know, what are they called? I was Dice? about to say ice cubes. I am rolling them ice cubes. Is <laughs> that like someone who's never gambled before pretending they know? Like, oh yeah, the ice cubes. Mm, snake ice. Yeah. Don't melt the ice today, Lady Luck. <laughs> no, it's because I'm an actually a space alien and I have trouble with your language. <laughs> Can I? Oh, wait, this is really dumb. You're just a regular yeah. human. My recycle bin, my garbage indoors, the kind of garbage can you can just buy at the store. There's a brand of garbage can and the brand name is Simple Human. But whenever I look at it, it's Simple Human. <laughs> this garbage can is just treating me as if it's an advanced alien species and I'm just a dumb idiot. Well, I throw my empty beer can in it. Simple human. You dare recycle in me. Just the concept yeah. that someone would have to pay for simple human. Like, it's just so insulting. Yeah. And then, like, give me your money, simple human. Yeah, exactly. It's and it's right there on the top of the trash can. So every time I go to throw away an empty bottle. <laughs> Anyway, yeehaw boy, howdy. <laughs> yeehaw boy, howdy. <laughs> yeehaw boy. So if you're curious, this Western slash 
sci-fi mashup started, I would say, around the 1930s and 40s when pulp magazines started to gain a lot of favor. I think one of the very first space western heroes is a man named Northwest Smith, and he's created by a guy named C.L. Moore. And then in the 50s, the Comic Code Authority put this clamp down on horror comics, so they weren't producing as much in the way of horror comics, or they weren't as, like, you know, gory and what people wanted to read, and so Yeah, there used to be a lot of murder comics yeah so like the code kind of put down that you know murder and stuff and sexy ladies and so you got the space westerns took its place so they became hugely popular in the 50s and then like ted was saying westerns were really big in the 60s as well and as they fell out of favor, the there was this like revisionist Western genre that came in, Star Trek and some movies that we'll be talking about later, like Westworld and Outland. And then Star Wars also has this new frontier idea and very clearly, you know, what's that? Oh, the cantina? Like, the Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Saloon. Yeah, the cantina is a saloon. You know what that genre mu- of music is called, right? <laughs> okay, can we say it on the radio? <laughs> was a backlash to the saturation a lot of people were calling it hack which i mean sure why not and then it was given new life in the 90s so i don't know do you guys ever watch cowboy bebop oh yeah Love amazing cowboy bebop is cowboy, i've only seen the film is cowboy bebop particularly westerny other than it's, him oh, being yeah. Named yeah. cowboy okay here and there I mean, it's also pretty soapy, but, you know, it's just a great show. The 80s Nadir did feature several, like, kids' cartoons that were mm. sci-fi westerns, all of which are pretty bizarre. One of them is quite problematic. It's called Brave Star. He's a Native American sheriff on a planet called Texas. The <laughs> sidekick who's a talking horse with a gun consults a shaman and uses his powers are summoning the spirits of animals. It's, it's for kids. The, the talking horse has a gun? <laughs> Talking horse loves guns. The sheriff okay. doesn't like guns. He prefers to summon the strength of a bear. I'm into that dynamic. There's going to be a thread of problematic indigenous <laughs> history throughout these films, even the ones that I thought were good. There's some good critique of the way they erase native people. Anyway, I so that was like this like era of like critical acclaim because you know that genre was like considered hacky and it was no one was producing it and then i like firefly i think it's a, think it's a good show although i guess josh whedon is a problematic it, look all it happens <laughs> sometimes you're enjoying a show you look at the credits and josh whedon made it you just gotta <laughs> accept it yeah <laughs> and now i think I think we're fully back. We're fully saturated. So we we will discuss the film, Cowboys and Aliens. I have a lot of opinions on it. Mandalorian, Westworld, the TV show. I guess people like it. It's okay. Uh, when you mentioned comics, I wanted to bring up Mobius, a.k.a. Well, his a.k.a. is Mobius. His real name is Jean Giraud, but he's oh, Mobius yeah, yeah. is his real name. An artist who, you know, I'd say he, he was part of the definition of the space western. Like his whole bunch of the stuff he made was, um, yeah, space detectives in these insane space landscapes. Oh, well, yeah. So he has the detective one. That's kind of what the fifth element was based on, except he never got credit for it. And then he also had Blueberry was his Western, which is not very sci fi Western. It was just a cool cowboy comic. I don't know. Maybe he's also problematic. I have not looked into his personal life. <laughs> I, I, I have not either. And I'm terrified. I have not heard too, much. Because he's French. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I 
notice the joke that I made in the outline, but my rating system is the good, the decent, and the ugly. <laughs> Gall's good films, Outland, 1981, Sean Connery, Westworld the film, and then Mad Max Fury, Fury Road is a very enjoyable film, although we will talk oh, about yeah. some of the, you know, things that are a bit problematic about it. The decent, I would say The Mandalorian has its goods. Westworld, I guess people enjoy it. The TV show. <laughs> I don't think in the end Westworld is a Western, really. It's a television adaptation of Zardoz, um, <laughs> which isn't revealed until later on in the second season, I believe, episode six. That is not it, revealed at all. <laughs> no, it is. No, it, it's revealed. It could oh, not be it? any more explicit. I mean, they use, they use the Beethoven bit in something that's totally uh, the end of oh, Zardoz. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't know if they know it, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then The Expanse is a really good show. Yeah, I watched the first season. It's got a, you know, I don't think I see the Western parts. I see that there's the grizzled detective with yeah. a space fedora. There's, there's sort of a frontier element in the later seasons. Not it's yet. really in the books. Like, I've read all the books mm. and like that's like a oh, huge nice. part of it for the, like uh, colonization of space and like the mm-hmm. filters and all that. That's like more. Those are the Western vibes. I like the show, but I definitely agree. It isn't as much in the show. There's the Martian guy who's. Who's like Martian Texan for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's also like, um, he's like, I don't know if he's Indian or Pakistani. The actor is Persian. But the character's name is different. It's not a Persian last name. It doesn't matter. And I don't know if you guys are watching the new season, but he's on Mars and they go to like a hokey um, Western themed bar. Oh, awesome. <laughs> So let's start with Outland, 1981 British sci-fi thriller written and directed by Peter Hyams and um, apparently also filmed by him, cinematographered by him, according to Amazon Prime's facts. Cinnamon topography. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, howdy. So Ted, he, what was the, do you know the name of the cinematographer that he like is credited uh, Stephen Goldblatt, who also shot The Hunger by Tony Scott, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, uh, the Lethal Weapon movies. So, like a pretty two. successful, good cinematographer. But I guess from from what Amazon Prime's fun facts told me was that he hired this guy so that the studio wouldn't get on him for filming it himself because he wasn't a cinematographer. And there was also this was like a new type of um, filming technology that they were using and so there was a lot of technical stuff that uh peter hyams didn't really know so he'd be like hey dude how do i do this and this the real cinematographer was really young and it was like his first job out of film school and took the job because he had no other choice and it would be a good thing on his resume but apparently was very very dissatisfied with the whole situation because he didn't actually film it. I just feel bad for him if that's true. Just like hired as a <laughs> yeah. beard, basically. Like, <laughs> you stand here. Yeah. <laughs> I think if he gave advice on how to shoot those scenes, then he earned that credit. It's true. Yeah. Maybe that's like, because like, if you get to be a really good DP, eventually you get to do that. Just like kind of tell people what to do. So get that <laughs> experience with your first job. <laughs> so Brendan did make an observation, which I thought was interesting, where, so Outland is a good movie. I really enjoyed it. Cowboys and Aliens, not a good movie. <laughs> Cowboys and Aliens was written by, I'm going to say seven dudes, just like seven sure. dude bros. <laughs> Many dudes. I did look it up because I was curious, like the most people yeah. I've seen on one script for sure. Yeah, I mean, so many dudes. If you Go get more them. than three people 
credited with writing a screenplay, it probably means there were lots of rewrites, which yeah. means one or all of those scripts were bad. <laughs> <laughs> or, or were good, and they decided to go in a different direction. Right. It was so good that they just wanted to involve more people. <laughs> like, hey guys, yeah, get a load of this. <laughs> Gotta get it on the script, dude. <laughs> so the point Brennan made was that at, maybe at the time when Outland was being made, there was this more leeway with this idea of an auteur, like you're, this is your project, versus you know now it's a lot harder. There's a lot more committee, you know, committee from the outland doesn't seem too deeply western but it has a apparently the director the writer director wanted to make a western and he couldn't get funding for it and so he made a space western and it has a lot of thematic resemblances to high noon it's a story about a marshal bringing the law to a mining town out on the <laughs> yeah. frontier the frontier yeah. just happens to be saturn's moon io or wait it was a jupiter's, jupiter's moon, moon. Yeah, yeah, close one. Too. I immediately like this movie because the first dialogue that happens is just like some tradespeople that are mining and they're having a very true to life conversation about how they need to get a new shop steward and why they need to get a new shop steward. And I was like, this is a conversation that I've had with my coworkers before. This is like very well written and honest and truthful. But it, you know, is happening in space. Yeah, there's this short era of good sort of blue-collar workers in space movies. Aliens <laughs> is another one. Mm-hmm. Peter Himes also directed the sequel to 2001, which is not oh, much yeah. like 2001, but it's a good film on its own. It's sort of, it's a Cold War film, 2010. Cold War film, but it's also sort of a guys working in space movie. It has sort of similar production design, like the sets are similar. The art director on Outland went to do Event Horizon and Children of Men. And yeah, the sets in this look great. I also really enjoyed the special effects in Outland. I really liked when one of the guys that's coming to murder the marshal, his head just like expands like Willy Wonka style. <laughs> yeah, it feels sort of like a precursor to a total recall when there's the silly head explosions in that. <laughs> it's got Peter Boyle, who in my mind will always be famous for young Frankenstein. And I guess everybody loves Raymond, right? He's the dad. He's <laughs> oh, yeah. got a young Clark Peters, which if you guys are into The Wire, Clark Peters is a great actor. And then there's also tons of like moments where you're like, oh yeah, this is a Western. Like the marshal walks into the saloon and everybody turns their head like record scratch and watches him while he's... Uh, space record behind. scratch. My one uh, critique is, is he just shooting a regular gun in space? Well, they all are. I mean, the guys that the, the company sends to um, kill him, one of them ends up killing himself because he just shoots the window of a greenhouse. Like, oh, there's not going to be vacuum out there. Yeah, but then at some point, Clark Peter's character like walks outside with a gun and shoots it outside. And I was like, nah, whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I, I love that it's like set in space and you can suspend your disbelief there, but it's like, guns, no. <laughs> Too far, man. <laughs> As much as it's structurally a Western, it's also very much a labor movie. Not only, like, the aforementioned, like, realistic scenes about talking about your new, was it foreman or? Shop steward. Shop steward. Like, the whole. (laughs) Somebody's never had a shop steward. (laughs) Yeah, Ted. (laughs) (laughs) But the whole plot of the movie is that this guy's making profits selling sort of stimulants to the workers, which makes them work faster. So the 
company looks the other way because uh, it makes them more profit, but it slowly makes them go crazy and they'll either like try to kill someone or just walk outside with no spacesuit on. Oh, no. also, in comparison to some of the other movies that we watched, there's one female character, but she's such a good character. This like doctor character. She's like interesting. She's not a love interest, but she's an interesting person. And it, and even Sean, Car- Sean Carter at the end is like, I respect you, my friend. And <laughs> I was like, this is great. And the actress is great. Frances Sternhagen. It was great. It was, I was like blown away, actually, especially because I had watched Cowboys and Aliens before that. And I was like, okay, they're casting Alien <laughs> Olivia Wilde to make out with, I want to say Daniel, Daniel Craigson. Craig. What's his name? <laughs> just, just Daniel Craig. Craig. <laughs> Please, Daniel Craig was my father. Call me Daniel Craigson. <laughs> <laughs> About what Westworld, a blast. The film. Uh, you know, yeah, a lot funnier than the show. The show never <laughs> never re- reached those levels of levity. But And yet, oh, the premise is it's an amusement park with hyper-realistic robots, and you get to act out all your Western fantasies. And then the robots eventually rise up against their human controllers and shoot them with the guns that they have because they're Western robots. The first half of the movie is just these two guys messing around like dummies and it's just really funny to see people act out their dumb fantasies like clumsily the movie gets a lot out of that you know it's good it's humanizing it's like all right what if somebody really did get the chance to try to have a dumb fantasy and there are three worlds in westworld there's the western world and also roman world and medieval world and we spend a little bit of time in each of them at first you just see some rich dummies acting out some stuff and then they all get murdered (laughs) (laughs) and it's really like it's a real they do the movie does a great job of that switch from here are just some dummies and it's having kind of a fun time and then they just get brutally murdered all of a sudden (laughs) it's a scary chase of this guy just nerd just running for his life came out in 1973 Written and directed by Michael Crichton. Yul Brenner is really good in it. They did such a great job just with his reflective chrome eyes. And then his face comes off. It's also the first film, first feature film to use digital image processing to pixelate yeah, the robot's android eye view. point of view. Mm-hmm. And apparently Crichton originally went to the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena to like see if they could do two minutes of animation for him. And they said they would take it take him nine months and $200,000. And so he went to a different direction <laughs> <laughs> found a grad student pretty much yeah who would do basically. it for cheaper I didn't realize that the westworld series that we that god loves so much had a predecessor <laughs> so they are not the same in yeah. tone or in uh intent but they have the same original same, like basic conceit. plot yeah 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 allegedly i liked that uh all right so the the park starts going insane and the robots are killing people and then every all the scientists in the control room the guys who run the park also all their computers have the coolest screensavers just a bunch of triangles bouncing around that's not data those are just triangles but they look cool uh anyway as soon as the park shuts down like oh we gotta shut down electricity then their the door to their office locks and apparently it's airtight and they all die? Awesome. What kind of system is that, scientists? Come on. <laughs> we had to uh, secure our theme park control room against chemical attack. He really likes his science hubris slash theme park. Yeah, that's what every Michael Crichton thing is about. It's about <laughs> scientists going too far, usually in the form of, the- of a theme park. Formula works. <laughs> Oh, 
Mad Max Fury Road, 2015, George Miller. A great movie. I don't think we need to like dissect it too much, except for there's a really good article that does. There's an article, an academic paper written by Dallas Hunt, who's a member of the Wapisuu Swan River First Nation in northern Alberta, Canada, and he's a lecturer at the University of Manitoba, and he wrote a really interesting article called In Search of Our Better Selves, Totem Transfer Narratives in Indigenous Futurities, and makes some pretty good critiques of Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, I mean, I think it adds definitely a very necessary frame of analysis on top of a lot of the critical reception of the film either just looked at what a like an impressive accomplishment it is visually in terms of like the stunts or looks at it as a feminist film or an ecological film or a and- trucking film. I think this is a good frame of analysis to add to it. I'm not convinced by a lot of his conclusions. Like the analysis he makes of Westerns themselves and this totem transfer narrative that comes up again and again in Westerns and even literature, American literature before, it explains so much about Westerns. I think his particular conclusions totally foreclose the idea that you could use that form, you could transform that format in any way. Basically, well, you took the Western, so therefore your message is the same message that Westerns have always had. You can't change it. I think you could say that Fury Road is maybe trying to transform that formula and comes up short, but I think it's still, yeah, definitely a necessary analytical framework to have. And I think there's another film that attempts to be ecological utterly fails and just completely rep and is totally a totem transfer narrative which is avatar avatar um, yeah <laughs> and has no countervailing <laughs> positive attributes whatsoever if you pointed this this essay at avatar i would agree with it 100 percent. i will link this essay on on our website and you can make up your own mind <laughs> I mentioned The Expanse. I didn't read the books. Scarlett, did you like them? Are they good? They're good. I mean, they're like a good, dense sci-fi story told in like three parts interweaving. Even though it does have this sort of like Western feel, I agree with what we were saying earlier that it's like it is kind of a detective novel at the heart mostly because it follows a detective but it does does he have the space fedora in the books that fedora has been bothering me i'm three episodes (laughs) into the first season i don't believe he has a space fedora it's just interesting so i'm like you know i would call this space fedora the main character of the tv series (laughs) (laughs) for sure only in the first they picked that fedora before they picked an actor i bet (laughs) (laughs) you'll be wearing this I haven't read the essay you guys were referring to, but I think that this applies in terms of this Western, but there's like, they're colonizing space. The people in different like areas of space in the expanse are treated differently based on where they were born. And there's just like a lot of battles between the regions. The belters who are out in the outer solar system develop this kind of mining colony culture, which is sort of reminiscent of something like Outland or Westerns actually setting mining towns. And like a patois that's like a mix of the different cultures that ended up there, which is interesting. They do a good job of, um, I I mean, I've seen all of them. I was hesitant to watch it, and then Brendan was like, you might like it. And I started to watch it, and I immediately was like, this is like dumb sci-fi, and I put it away. (laughs) And then I 
started it again and I actually really enjoy it. And one of the things I do like that they get really well is this whole idea of code switching. I'm not sure if you guys have where you are in the thing, if you've experienced it, but the Naomi. main female character, yeah, she like when she like reconnects with Belters where she's from, she you can you see her like very starkly changing her accent. And like how she speaks to people, that's that's really well done. Usually, I feel like with books, you miss a lot of details when it's like put into a TV show. But that's something that sounds like they might have added in the TV show, probably from like the actors, which I think is cool. I think they super focused on the influence of the different languages that would have resulted in the accent that you're getting on the belters because all the actors are have the same bizarre accent so yeah it's definitely like, jarring at first but it, it is a it's some good world building yeah really good world building i think and that's then one J- thing- jared harris shows up and does it and like ah, okay still good yeah, i think the main barrier to getting into it initially is that the protagonist is annoying but um all the side characters are great so james holden right yeah. that's the protagonist yes that's why i immediately was like this is just a dumb sci-fi show, never mind. And then I restarted it and I was like, oh, okay, there's <laughs> there's more to this besides yeah. this like model that they cast. It's a great show, you just spend five seasons ignoring the main protagonist. <laughs> it's interesting because yeah. in the books he's more of like a sad spaceman, you know, like a little more haggard. It, I-, I think he's supposed it feels to better. be a sad spaceman. Yeah. They just but didn't hire the right like guy a... for them. <laughs> Sexy hot soap actor. No, exactly. (laughs) I mean, he's doing a sad face most of the time. He's frowning a little (laughs) bit. Yeah, yeah. Mandalorian. We've already talked about the Mandalorian. I've told you how I feel about it, but John Favreau sucks, right? Like he's. (laughs) I mean, Johnny Favs. He's my friend. (laughs) Does good work. I mean, John Favreau is like Disney's errand boy par excellence. It's yeah, it's interesting that he's the guy they went to to make their space western TV show because like they're trying to serialize this big. I mean, Star Wars is where New Hollywood became fused with blockbusters, and they're trying to take this existing IP from that era and like turning it and serializing it. So they're going straight back to the age of big serialized action that everyone watched. Yeah, aka Bonanza. (laughs) They're bringing it back. Boy, howdy. Bonanza. Um. (laughs) I mean... I love blockbusters. I I love my Avengers. I love my Avengers yeah, yeah. Endgame. I love Mandalorian. So I might I might be the perfect audience for John Favreau. <laughs> I'm curious what your beef is with him, Gall. Uh, what did he do to ca- hurt you? He did Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> you so know, that- people make mistakes. <laughs> Or do you they know just what? do things for the money. Come on. <laughs> do you know, maybe I have, maybe I'm especially primed to be disliking him right now because I'm watching The Sopranos for the first time. Oh, and I like it, just that watched is so good. <laughs> that episode where he plays like himself, himself. who's like talking to uh, Christopher Molisano, right? That's his last Moltisanti. name. Michael Imperial. Yeah, Moltisanti. And he just plays the worst Hollywood John Favreau comes in. He's making a mob movie, so he goes and finds a real mob guy, Christopher Moltisanti, steals all his mob stories and flies back to Hollywood. And then Christopher gives up on screenwriting. I like to think that's exactly what he did with the Mandalorian. He found a real space bounty hunter, (laughs) hung out with him for a day, and then got too scared when he whipped out his space laser and but took all his best stories and made a show about it. So that means there's a real space Moltisanti out there. (laughs) 
He's like a method creator. He finds things yeah. that exist. And he just makes it exactly how it was. What do you guys think about the sandworm in uh, Mandalorian? I mean, uh, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for sandworms. Good or bad, yeah. I'll, I'll watch them. Exactly. They're great. No, I I watch the Mandalorian and enjoy it. I just, you know, I'm not going to marry it. That you heard it here, folks. Me. Gaul is not marrying the show, the Mandalorian. <laughs> Controversial take. You have to marry all the shows that you mildly enjoy. Oh, I guess I also just get a little bit tired of like there's never there's nothing new under the sun anymore and i we've mentioned this before but like okay yes the mandalorian is a space western you didn't have to cast <laughs> timothy oliphant as the space sheriff yeah i mean i think john favreau is just kind of the mor rock radio format of directors directors slash actors slash dreamweavers you like Westworld, but you like Westworld because it's just like robots. Yeah, I think that the first season of Westworld, the show has a great, it's just a great story of robots slowly becoming self-aware. The first season did have a couple funny moments where something poked at the edge of the their programming, like they look at the photograph and the photograph is of the outside world and they have to repeat robotically well that doesn't look like anything to me <laughs> and she says that a bunch of times and it's funnier every time until she finally realizes oh my god it does look like something I was created by humans uh, that's a good humans. show I'm into that yeah that's right simple humans whom I can now crush yeah I mean one of the leading writers showrunners is Christopher Nolan's brother who co-wrote some of Nolan's films and it's very Nolan-y, and also, again, an ad- a television adaptation of Zardoz yeah, with the second Western season, trappings. There was a third season, right? I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that either. I never finished the first season. I also, I think, I've just been oversaturated with um, gritty TV show that have like, mm-hmm. a lot of rape. Right, because it was coming out around the same time as Game of Toronto. It was like, at this time where it was like, you have to watch an hour of TV every night, and it's going to be upsetting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get into Westworld for the same reason, actually. It, it's just so much so much like attacks on women and like stuff it's just like i'm sure it's good i know people like it that's why i included it but yeah. i just couldn't get past i feel like they tried to turn it into a nice revenge story but no one gets that revenged i don't know i mean sure they get really murdered but they, they really get revenge <laughs> but also like that's the other side of things that i think maybe from a maybe from a woman's perspective or from my own i'm not gonna say i'm all woman but from my perspective it's like you have all this like inundation of like violence against women and then the only retribution is that she then becomes violent herself <laughs> and performs violence against other people violence and that's from women yeah <laughs> so like how that like galaxy you know, brain like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like what is it the girl with the dragon tattoo like why is that the ultimate revenge now i am going to become what i hated and murder you <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's just copying the model of feminist filmmaker Quentin Tarantino and his masterpiece <laughs> Kill Bill. Well, no, they're all going. I spit on your grave, right? That was the was that the first one? I, I think that was one of the more influential female revenge movies from 1978. What's, what's up, is it about someone who spits on someone's grave? <laughs> That's a very important question. <laughs> I mean, it's just it. It's an extremely 
graphic movie about a woman who barely survives a brutal rape and then gets revenge on a rapist by brutally massacring them. I mean, it's it's an exploitation movie. Like, it's deliberately supposed to be as gory as possible. Anyway, westerns. Boy, howdy. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Uh, you I know, spit on your grave. A western <laughs> when you think about it. I spit on your grave stars Buster Keaton's granddaughter. <laughs> no. <laughs> How the mighty have progenerated. Progenerated? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? Maybe um, progeny, you progenerate. Yeah. Like right now, we're conversating. <laughs> exactly. I reckon we um, are. Cowboys and aliens, t- t- 2011. Let's dig. Let's dig deeper into this masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, we only peeled back one or two layers. So Scarlett mentioned this before, and I also had the same experience. Where about I would say three fourths of the way into the film, I realized I had already seen this movie before and completely, completely erased it from my memory. My theory is because all the actors are really good. So it like gaslights into thinking that you're having a good time and then hypnotizes you and you think you've not seen it. It's a very empty film. There's not a lot to stay in your mind. The aliens, they want gold. Why do they want gold? Because it's just as precious to them as it is to us. So why do they want gold? Olivia Wilde, why do they want gold? Olivia, why do they want gold? Why are you not telling me? Olivia. They want it because it's important. I think drove me a little bit crazy. It, I don't know. I don't think anybody was like going to that movie looking for plot, though. With a title like that, you're only interested in one thing, and that is cowboys and aliens. <laughs> Two things. You can scream. You could easily have action and also explain in one sentence why they want gold. You could be like, because... It, in where they're from, they like use it to create sex toys with, and it's the only. <laughs> you know what, Carl? Citizen Kane could have told you what Rosebud was in Act One, and they didn't because it's good filmmaking. This would be more like if you never saw any um, any scenes of his Kane's childhood whatsoever and then later it's just mentioned that he wants a sled. <laughs> See now yes. that sounds like a good exactly. movie. Hell yeah. Ted, we gotta, we gotta go on a writer's Kane retreat and, and get this movie made. John Favreau's Citizen Kane. <laughs> okay, also, um, speaking of indigenous erasure, I was reading interviews with John Favreau, and, like, he, like, takes pride in the whole uh, Native American subplot that's happening in this film. It's, like, part of this whole, like, thematic reason for it existing and it is truly messed up it's just this like cowboys and indians come together because they have a common enemy they completely forget any of the genocide that was happening between the two peoples and like at some point harrison ford is like explaining war strategy to an apache general dude you can just write cowboys just ignore the fact that they were Native Americans. You don't need to put it somewhere else. Don't put it in New Mexico. Like, it was not necessary for it to be, but that was, like, a part of the plot. There's, like, an interview where he's like, yeah, and we, like, retell the story in a better way. And it's like, oh, man, Johnny sweet, F. Sweet reconciliation. Yeah. It was weird. I think it's interesting, though, because I... I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like that's a kind of an unspoken thing about Westerns is like indigenous erasure because it's mm-hmm. all about like expansion and like colonizing. So right. even kind of probably what I would imagine is like 
mentioned in that essay is like that's just always part of it whether you mention it or not Mm -hmm. unfortunately and just whedon in some interview about firefly slash serenity he says there's that always you know indigenous threat on the frontier and western so i just turn them into raving cannibals so they're not indigenous people anymore it's fine dude have you read what people used to think and call the native made americans like i can't just read a book people (laughs) there's many of them written you can't read a book if you gotta write a screenplay with six of your best buddies (laughs) just gotta go for it my one takeaway from cowboys and aliens is that if harrison ford's career had overlapped more with western's popularity he could have done a lot of them because like older gruff harrison ford is good in that role also daniel craig's southern accent is like midwestern which is (laughs) really enjoyable (laughs) and then my other thing that i didn't understand was okay so they needed there's two women characters they're both sexy ladies Mm -hmm. and that's about it that's that is who they are and olivia wilde's character is an alien from another planet who is coming to stop these aliens and she's coming to 19th century frontier western world in the united states and she's taking the form of a beautiful woman that is not the best way to assert your goals on this planet (laughs) nobody takes women seriously in this time period why would you do that did you not do your research because you seem to know the Apache language fluently? So why would you not already understand that you shouldn't be a female character? Well, we gotta sorry. have a whole. We gotta make a, a second episode Wait, so just about cowboys. You're, you're arguing that Olivia Wilde should not have been cast. Logically. She shouldn't. It, the, I'm Olivia Wilde could have been cast in a different part if they wanted to make a love interest, but this alien character should not have taken the form of a woman. That's well, what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe she's that good researcher, kind of like the Doctor and Doctor <laughs> Who. He's just like he is from a super intelligent species, but he's the only one left. He might not be the most intelligent. Maybe it's a similar situation. She's from a benevolent alien species, so her benevolence has to be uh, manifested by being her heart a woman. is in the right place. Also, a lot of the plot revolves around these aliens collecting people to research us and find our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. But it's shown that they just shoot us with space guns from their <laughs> yeah. spaceships. Yeah. How much more research about our weaknesses do you have to do <laughs> in order to kill all of us? They have to, like, dig your intestines out. <laughs> like, Let's see, is this part back. vulnerable to lasers? Turns out it is. I like that as a field note, like, weak to lasers. <laughs> <laughs> Further experiments may be required. <laughs> Apparently it's adapted from a comic book. I have no, no idea if that is good. But Listen, the comic book, the graphic novel only exists because Universal oh. Studios, I think in like 1999, wanted to make a Cowboys and Aliens film. Hmm. And so they had this guy write this co- this graphic novel, maybe thinking, well, we'll get like the nerds to to read mm-hmm. this graphic novel and that'll get us our, you know, following and then we'll make this movie. I do think that's funny that they wanted to trap the nerds, but I've literally never heard of this comic book, so obviously <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> move on to seminal classic wild wild west oh, yeah <laughs> i think we should go i think that 
Does that do a better job of being a fun ride than Cowboys and Aliens? Thought it would. I, think so. I would say yes. It is not a good film, but it is more of a fun ride than Cowboys and Aliens, I think, by a long shot. I really enjoyed it as like a fun ride, but I also think that there's a certain when you're watching a movie that you know is so it's a bad movie, but you're gonna enjoy it for like the hilarity and be, it being a bad movie. You have to have like certain amount of like enthusiasm, and like that is hard to sustain over Wild Wild West because it is long, it's yeah. long, and there's a lot going on in it. But I mean, you have Kevin Klein playing a wacky inventor and Ulysses S. Grant. You've got yeah a big spider robot, which. Apparently it's only in the film because the production designer for the movie, like, was obsessed with big spiders. Like, people <laughs> who have worked on other movies with him have said that, like, he was always trying to fit a spider into the movie. And then this was the bit time that he finally got to put in a big <laughs> robot spider. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh is pretty great in it also. I am I bet he won a Razzie for that performance. <laughs> it's so good. So the journalist Matt Ford, he's like a legal journalist, said on Twitter early last year, Wild Wild West is, relatively speaking, one of the most accurate depictions of the Reconstruction era in American cinema. <laughs> A recurring thing in many westerns and also the old west is that um, a lot of the characters like fought in uh, the Civil War. They're often Confederates who came west, and that's also one thing that Joss Whedon sneaks into Firefly and Serenity to make it mm-hmm. even more westerny. They're all veterans of some recent war. You have a bunch of these characters who fought in the Civil War, but like the racial aspect of that just never comes up. Whereas in the Wild Wild West, is Kenneth Branagh trying to like is he yeah. allying with the Confederacy? Is he tr- he's trying to form like a spider confederacy basically? <laughs> yeah, um, to conquer the yeah. Americas. Yeah, and Will As Smith. Saves the day. Oh, and there's a sexy, sexy lady. Salma Hayek. They really underused Salma Hayek because she's like pretty funny and they did not give her any funny. She's like a good actress and they just made her generic sexy, sexy lady. Well, they gave her some some bits that I think they thought were funny. So this is something I can't believe I never thought of until this moment. Was this a serious movie or was it supposed to be a comedy? Like, was this supposed to be like a serious action film? It was supposed to be a Will Smith movie in the 90s where it was like supposed to be funny, but also supposed to be the, you know, the big action movie of the summer. I mean, I guess they accomplished that then. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a it's men in black in the old west, basically. Yeah, I feel like Kevin Klein, as much as I like him. I don't know if that role was for him. Oh, that character is awful. <laughs> it's so bad. And you're just like, yeah, Kevin Klein, you're far too like, what's not, I don't want to say erudite, but I feel like Kevin Klein should only play like obnoxious professors. I mean, that in character is contemporary like a, time. <laughs> he's a genius inventor type. It's definitely a Klein type. Yeah. And he gives it his all. It's just an awful character in a bad movie. <laughs> Yeah. In uh in a fish called Wanda, he plays an erudite idiot, like he's a dummy who thinks he's smart, and that's his best role of all time. He's so good. <laughs> that's that, that's what I was trying to say. That's like the only because that was like my mom's favorite movie, and so I watched that a lot growing up. <laughs> yeah, my too. And like that is that is the only role that I think Kevin Klein can play. I mean, he gets pretty close close to that in this. He's just also a secret agent. For Ulysses S. Grant. You can watch it if you want. It's Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West. (laughs) We're going to have... Gaul will sing the entire song later in this episode. (laughs) 
Right I now. remember uh, when I was, oh gosh, I'm going to say six or, when did it come out? When I was in fifth or sixth grade? One of those. I know it's still that in. That sounds about right. Or it might have been junior high. It might have been like seventh grade. Anyway, the student body president did the announcements in the morning and he sang the entire Wild Wild West oh, song. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a cool kid, man. A Wild yeah, Wild dude. West came out in 1999, the same year as The Matrix. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, man. Can you imagine doing a double feature of that? Someone <laughs> probably did that. <laughs> I believe they're in the same cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah, I think there's no space. Yeah, the giant s- robot spider then turns into the Matrix Sentinels. Oh my yeah. god, you broke a wide open call. Well, is the Wild Wild West the Matrix or is it real life? I also oh. believe that Will Smith was originally considered for Keanu Reeves' role in the Matrix. Apparently he did Wild Wild West instead. I mean, yeah. can you imagine a, a, a Matrix song for the made by Will Smith? <laughs> I mean, that's probably in his contract if you're going to get it at oh, that man. time. We only kind of mentioned Firefly, but you know, it's a show. It was yeah. canceled. Watch it. <laughs> It's enjoyable. I mean, I haven't watched it in years, but... Yeah, when they rob that space train, watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Firefly is really fun. I do like Firefly, and it's like, it's a good show to watch right now, because it's like, there are... How many... It was like either like only one or two seasons? It was just one, one and then the movie. One and done. Oh, and and it's got Nathan Fillion. He's very likable. But Joss Whedon writes this like future old-timey folksy dialogue, which is... They talk almost like cowboys, but, you know, different because it's the future. Boy, howdy, we're in space. (laughs) There's also a really interesting element to it, which what movie was I watching that bothered me for a second and then I misjudged it? Oh, it was the Ecotopia. So in Ecotopia... Nurses are also, they also have sex with you. Oh, yeah. But it's only like if part they of, feel like it. <laughs> only if they feel like it. And we didn't bring you that up want last to. Time. And it could be men and women. We're bringing it up now. And it could be men and women. Yeah. And I, when I first started reading that part of Ecotopia, I like put the book down and I was like, what is this guy just enacting his fantasies? And then I read a little bit more and I was like, okay, fine. This is this is fine it's not being forced on anybody and it could be same sex whatever and then brendan reminded me that that like that also happens in firefly the courtesan yeah she's a courtesan but it's like part of also being like it's like a healing thing it's like you know Mm -hmm. sex work is regarded as this like part of like general health yeah um, therapeutic empathy which also tricky subject but we could do a sex work episode because there's a lot of like that is a common thread in a lot of sci-fi. I mean, it even yeah. happens in, like, Outland, where, like, on this mining town, you know, they employ prostitutes for the men that work there. We'll consult with the station manager. <laughs> One last time, if you just listened to this entire show and thought to yourself, hang on a second, weren't they supposed to play music? Well, now, you're listening to the podcast edit of this show. If you want to listen to the music, go to lastyearfeepod.com. You can find a playlist of all the music that we play and links to the mix cloud and all that good stuff. And um, enjoy. Well, boy, howdy, people. Thanks for listening. Yeehaw. 
get sh- shoot us an email pew pew at uh, <laughs> the last refuge of the incompetent at gmail.com that's incompetent the word with no a's incompetent you can spell it i, I believe in you yeah I, mean, I can barely that's, spell it it's not directed at gall it's directed at you the listener <laughs> absolutely directed to gall and i don't no appreciate wasn't. it how does one send a telegram to the show <laughs> Well, you can care of. Just go to your local Western manager. Union office. Find your well, you can leave space us a... spider. <laughs> yeah, you can leave us a voicemail eight zero five two five three three zero nine one. Go to our website lastrefugepod dot com. And Scarlet, what are we doing next week? Space Marines. We're gonna yes. be talking about aliens. We're going to be talking about all of your favorites. It's going to be great. <laughs> Starship Troopers, a little bit of armor by John Stakely. Uh, now, if you listened to this show and thought to yourself, those people need to stop talking about movies. I really just want them to do stupid sketches that are incredibly metatextual. <laughs> well, now, you can just go to our <laughs> separate RSS feed, The Incompetence. You can listen to that there. Scarlet wrote this week's episode. Have some sweet dreams. <laughs> have, have them. Well, take a look at that big old sky and have some sweet dreams, Incompeteers. Good night. Science fiction.